0: Isaac Quainall, Tom Stewart. Now that KO has 4K, people will see every detail. I better wash my hair. Oh, I'll book in a spray tan. Maybe a manicure? I'm shining up my tats. Experience amazing detail with 4K, now on KO.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch. Forty
0: five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Gone,
1: is that, that's the
3: second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those
1: England defence and the best Charleston goal for the high wall trying to knock it down for Houtenan. Goal! And they've scored! Ray we for Whelan! Ronnie we has done it! Ronnie yeah. Whelan has scored a goal to grace any footballer he
0: We're a small country and
3: listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go around for the sing-song every now and again.
1: You can see the fear on our puny opposition's faces. They know the Norse hellfire that awaits them. So warned the English language magazine in Iceland, Reykjavik Grapevine, Murph, yeah. at or VK Grapevine on Twitter before the game. Yes, I presume in and around the uh, kickoff.
4: Did they go with Nordic or Viking there? Sorry. They went They
1: went for Nordic. Goalie like the cliff face at... Drurale. The only thing that will destroy him is centuries of coastal erosion. They continue. <laughs> <during> the <day. laughs>
4: they could probably uh, handle 90 minutes then. I you presume. can imagine how
1: excited they got when Berker Bjornsson stuck the ball in the Portuguese net. Well,
4: I got pretty excited.
1: And now we smite them into tiny pieces of dust and destroy their goal with a ball set on fire by our volcanic thunder. <laughs> what all.
4: I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not exactly the smiting to end all smites. These
1: guys were great. Don't worry, though, Murph. I know you think that they might take their eye off the ball afterwards, the Iceland team, but no. This is but the first chapter of our Euro saga. Now, our players frolic in the French fields and regain their heavenly energy. <laughs> People <laughs> should follow at ORVK. Is RVK, that the Wada bad list? <laughs> <laughs> at ORVK, Grapevine on Twitter if you get a chance. It's Wednesday's Irish Time, second captain's Euros podcast. Paul McGrath will come later. We're going to get his take on what's going on with Ireland, and particularly maybe Kieran Clark, the own goal, his performance in general, whether or not things uh, Shane Duffy would come in. I actually think Clarke played okay uh, overall, but just the... Uh, I suppose the defensive approach is Latin, which is quite successful, and whether or not that's something similar to what's needed against, presumably, Lukaku and all his buddies this weekend. And we'll salute Gareth Bale's metamorphosis into a master media manipulator. Gorgeous George. <laughs> Gorgeous George Bale. Uh, he just says something, and then all the journalists go running back to England and go, Hey, did you, did you hear what Bale said now? The literally, he's just got and said that no England players would get in the Wales team. And Bale's just breaking, himself, breaking down laughing yeah. at the turmoil that he's... Um, that he's managing to create so we'll chat about that ahead of Wales, England tomorrow but yeah, let's check out the TV commentary of Berker Bjarnason's equaliser <laughs> Yeah, you see what he said there, Murph, was, and now we smite them into tiny pieces of dust and destroy their (laughs) goal. The ball set on fire by our volcanic thunder. Uh, What a moment.
4: Yeah, it was. It was pretty good. Um, Because, to to be honest, they didn't really... I mean, you know, Portugal just kind of looked like they were going to ease away from them. I I think after the first goal, it was kind of like, oh, I don't really see Iceland getting back into this. But the second the goal went in... They were just a team transformed. It had the opposite effect to, to the our goal, goal that Ireland got the other night. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah, and actually yesterday was frustrating because, you know, these, this tournament is obviously brilliant and you're watching all of these games and they exist in and of themselves as great little miniature stories. But you can't help projecting onto everything that you see, you know, from an Irish perspective. So to see how Hungary handled Austria yesterday, scored the goal, and then just kind of... Just kept going, just kept playing, kept doing the things that got them in the lead in the first place. I couldn't get that out of my head. I was thinking about Ireland as watch as I was watching Hungary do that to Austria, and uh, yeah, it was kind of something similar as well with Iceland. I mean, it, like the instead of retreating to their eighteen-yard box and deciding to defend, no, they did do that in the maybe in the last ten minutes or so, mm. but they played really, really well in the second half, and it's a pretty ridiculous story. Met all of all the sweeter, of course, because of. You know Ronaldo coming out like a spoil Child after Oh he yeah, was okay. If you, if you want to get into
1: that, Murph, we'll do that. Pretty. I do want to give Iceland. Uh, in fairness, I actually I know sometimes you can say, oh no, that if, if you're talking about Ronaldo, it's taking the gloss off the Iceland mm. victory in some well, no, way. D- no, this d- is d- the best part. This yeah, is, it is yeah. Iceland have managed to really piss Cristiano Ronaldo off and bring out. There was a great story. all uh, all the prickishness of Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah,
4: there, there was that great story in uh, we've I think mentioned it a couple of times on the show. Barney Rona went to Iceland and wrote a, a really good piece for the Guardian. Uh, before Euro 20, 2016 started And he told a story About how Ronaldo Had asked for a VIP room <laughs> Just for himself In the National Stadium But of course There's like two dressing rooms Oh in Iceland When they <laughs> yeah. played oh, So in yeah. Portugal <laughs> went, uh, went, I think that this is like Six years ago He scored a goal Within four minutes And, won, and they won the game Like 5-0 or something But yeah. you know uh, Revenge is a dish Best served cold Let's get over
1: to Kent Oh, uh, Ronaldo took it in good grace anyway. Can
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's amazing. You know, it's just so. What he said was so stupid that it was actually it was quite revealing. It was sort of revealing um, about uh, you know Ronaldo, the kind of world that he lives in. And um, he clearly had absolutely no idea who or what Iceland, you, you know, were. It's like. Him, Iceland are just another one of these, you know, random countries that every so often come up, you know, that he has to play against. I imagine that Ronaldo, he couldn't. I don't think that anybody who had any conception of Iceland's uh, size, you know, what I, by which I mean, you know, the size of the Icelandic population, um, the history of their football team, could possibly have said what he did. It's just like total ignorance. Ran, Cristiano Ronaldo is a lot better at football than he is at geography, I think. Because, uh, you know, he says Iceland didn't try anything. Uh, They were just defend, 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 playing the counter-attack. It was a lucky night for them. We should have had three points, but we're okay. I thought they'd won the Euros the way they celebrated at the end. It was unbelievable. (laughs) When they don't try to play and just defend, defend, defend. This, in my opinion, shows a small mentality, and they are not going to do anything in this competition. (sighs) You know... He, he literally just had no idea who he had he just been playing against. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, was, it was sad. Sad. Um, but also extremely funny.
1: Also, it, this point that he makes about how defensive they were, right? Aside from the fact that he comes up against this all the time at Real Madrid, they actually <clears> did <throat> let him in twice for absolute sitters. Okay, one was a, a volley coming over his shoulder. A difficult chance for the average player. A fairly straightforward one for Ronaldo in the first half. And the header in the second half, when Nani... Placed the ball onto Ronaldo's head about eight yards out, and he just he he, he headed it the way I would head it, Ken, if I was playing <laughs> football. Just this slightly nervous thing, where it's like, I, I don't know how to head a ball, and it goes yeah. just it, you. You just want to get in the general direction of the goal, but you're not worried about power or serious placement. So he had his chances, despite them parking the bus in the goal, as he says.
3: I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that he didn't score that header. It's an amazing cross by Nani, by the way, one of the best crosses. You'll ever see. I mean, he, it, it took out four defenders and fell perfectly over the last one onto the head of Ronaldo, who you expect just to score easily. It's a sitter for him. And he puts it straight at the goalkeeper. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is part of it. Is This is how Cristiano Ronaldo's mind works. Um, this is how he stays positive. Uh, these are the kind of stories that he has to tell himself. Uh, you know, if he was standing there uh, doing a TV interview after the game going... I can't believe it. Um, I've just uh, almost broken my own record for shots in a European Championship game. The, uh, the only Cristiano Ronaldo has taken more shots in a European Championship game than Cristiano Ronaldo did last night. <laughs> it was ten shots, no goals. You know, if he was standing there going, "Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried. I didn't. I had so many shots, I didn't score. I mean, I'm still haunted by that miss uh, from the nanny cross. Uh, I don't know what came over me. You know, I'm 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 worried that I may have played myself into bad form at exactly the wrong time, you know, maybe that's just, uh, maybe it's better if he tells himself, oh, you know, they've got a small mentality, you know, uh, they're not going to do anything, you know, if he focuses on, on that sort of stuff rather than questioning his own performance.
1: You just sent me on a 20, 25 second clip of Ronaldo right at the end of the game. Um, well, it, I there were some people were making the point, oh, he didn't shake hands. He actually is shaking this guy's hands. He's just refusing to hand over his jersey by the looks of things. Well,
3: well I think what he's doing, uh, I mean, it is, it is quite funny, uh, the Icelandic player, essentially the, the game has, the final whistle has just gone, and Ronaldo was Ronaldo was complaining at the referee because he, you could see his mood deteriorated a lot during the game. I mean, he was smiling like a maniac. Uh, <laughs> you know, every time, uh, every time he saw Ronaldo in the game, he had this big uh, grin on his face. Uh, as you know, he missed a chance or he missed another chance, uh, and he was smiling and laughing. And he thought, uh, you know, he was kind of he, he, looked, he, he looked like he, he looked like a man who was deliberately trying to radiate confidence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then things started to get turn a little ragged, particularly after the goal. And You could see him, uh, his mood, his mood really went down. So at the end of the game, he was shouting at the referee because obviously the referee was part of this conspiracy against Portugal. Um, and the Icelandic player is immediately. Uh, is immediately there behind him, kind of tapping him on the shoulder. And Ronaldo ignores him a couple of times, um, and then yeah. He, but the tapping is persistent. He's like, hey, "Hey, hey, you know, can I have your shirt?" And Ronaldo kind of looks at him this sort of lordly glance, uh, and looks away, and the guy's like, oh, "Oh, you know, can I can I get your shirt?" Uh, and Ronaldo just gives this t- the tiniest little gesture, which I think is meaning inside. You know what I mean? Basically, uh, yeah, I'll, g- I'll give it to you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be seen swapping shirts at you right now but I will give you the shirt uh, later on if you go and wait for me in there. So that's what he seemed to be uh, doing. Uh, and I guess maybe that fed into his small mentality take, although I'm sure Ronaldo gets that a lot. I'm sure that's one, one of Ronaldo's favourite things about the game is when other players come up to him like you know, fans and tourists and uh, and beg for his uh, shirt mm-hmm. at the end of the match. They
1: did seem, as Murph said, Iceland did seem to get such a burst of energy from the goal. I mean, that's, you would have thought what a goal probably should do. For a team, it's as though they needed to be. They actually started okay, maybe first few minutes, but then for the rest of the first half, they were looking a little bit loose and ragged at times. Times just offering nothing in attack. Whereas it just seemed to change as soon as they got the goal. I mean, not yeah. maybe obviously Portugal still had a few chances after that, but but nothing major. It wasn't as though it was a
3: complete hang on job by Iceland. Portugal didn't do anything though. You know, what I mean, I thought I thought Iceland. Iceland played exactly as you would expect them to play. I mean, the only reasonable way to play against. Portugal, what are they going to do? You know, I mean, are they, are they going to push up to halfway and, and leave, you know, 40 metres of space for Cristiano Ronaldo? to run into? Obviously not. You know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> you know, they did exactly what you would have thought they would do. They nearly scored a couple of times apart from their goal. I mean, they looked, they were, managed to be dangerous when they got forward. Um, there was really early chance for Sigurdsson. There was another chance after the goal. Um so I thought it was just an excellent performance by them. Portugal have the same problem that they always have. They don't have. The, it's amazing that they can't produce a centre forward. Well, it's also they 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 apparently have a bit of a shortage of central defenders because Ricardo Carvalho still plays for them, which is amazing. <laughs> the fact that he's still playing international football, uh, twelve years after he joined Chelsea as an already mature professional. <laughs> is, I was expecting to see Paulo Futre
4: where, yeah, where, uh, jogging out after Ricardo Carvalho.
3: What is going on? Like, where yeah. where are the rest of the Portuguese? You know, why are they not producing? But you know, as a centre forward, is they, they seem to always have had this problem. And obviously, they've got Ronaldo, and you think, well, why doesn't he do it? But he just doesn't want to do it. You know, they've, it, the Portugal. I mean, Real Madrid have asked him to play in that position. Portugal really have needed him to play in that position, and he just doesn't want to do it. He says, no, you know, I want to be on the left. I want to. I want to be able to see the game. Ronaldo likes to start on the edge of the game, and sort of cut into it. But this is. This is, to an extent, why Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, not to want to take up a a pretty bore, pretty tired discussion, but this is why he's just never going to be as good as Lionel Messi. You know what I mean? He doesn't. He doesn't want to take on the responsibility of actually running the game for his team, even when he's by far their best player, which he is. But he's he's kind of still content to be like this this peripheral player, a guy who gets on the end of the moves and scores the goals i mean okay he had plenty of shots last night but he's not really involved in the general play he doesn't affect the game when you know unless he's shooting that's i mean i mean okay he scores a phenomenal number of goals i mean you you ultimately would take that but i just think that he could do more for portugal i think portugal actually need him to do more and his refusal to do that is one of the reasons why they like iceland will do nothing in this competition.
1: Well, Ken, Portugal, as you say, they've often struggled to match a lot of their approach play with a top class center forward. Maybe they could do it seeing there's any way to any way to get all Adam. How do you pronounce his surname, Murph, the hungry player? Adam Sally. Sally? Is that who it is?
4: Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether that was just an accommodation by the commentators that I was listening to yesterday, where it's like we could try and, you know, go a little more hungry on this, a little bit more Hungarian on this, (laughs) but they're just going to call him Salah. We're
1: forgiven for not knowing his name. He didn't score a goal for either club that he represented last season, in the entirety of the season. Mm. Hasn't scored for his country for a couple of years.
4: He hasn't done enough to merit our attention (laughs) until yesterday. Until
1: yesterday, Ken, what a goal.
3: Oh yeah, great goal, great great interplay to get through and amazing celebration (laughs) as well. Mm. uh, Where he ran to just directly behind the goal where the black-shirted Hungarian hardcore fans were congregate, congregated, did you see some of the brutes in that crowd? <laughs> <laughs> Brute is a good word for them, Ken. <laughs> they were brutes. Actually, I have to say that was—I uh, was watching the game with uh, with Stephen Doyle, and that was that was his word. And I said, I, "I I must remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I must remember that word." Uh, but he was also saying, "It's amazing, isn't it, how Hungary score a goal and then." Don't panic and actually improve. It's like uh, they you know, they score, they take the lead, and it seems to fill them with more confidence, I suppose a little bit like you were saying about Iceland, and make them actually more dangerous. Uh, you know, they, they, Until then, I thought they'd been hanging on in the game a little bit. Not that Austria were great. I mean, Austria wasn't very heartening to see Austria look so average, given that they're one of the teams standing between us and that uh, cherished place at the World Cup in Russia. Um, the one everyone wants to, the one nobody wants to miss, <laughs> uh, Russia 2018. And Austria are one of the teams, along with you know, Wales and, and Serbia, who uh, are trying to stop us uh, get there. And it looks based on what they do against Hungary. So they are a very average team. I mean, a couple of uh, good, I mean, obviously, Alban and standing player, you know, Arnautovic can be good if, he, if he's you know, up for it on the day. Otherwise... You know, they, they did not look like a special team. They obviously had that really sickening moment where their fans thought they'd equalize. But in fact, all that was happening was one of their players was getting sent off. And then they conceded a, another goal on the attack late on. But yeah, the the um, uh, fan culture looks to be alive and well in Hungary, even if we haven't heard too much from their uh, actual international side in, in several decades.
1: When he jumped into that gang of brutes, Sally, mm. I, I was concerned for a second that he might regret it straight away because they were big, strong men. They were brutes, after all, yeah. and mm. it looked as though they were never going to let him go. Yeah, they uh, didn't want to let him go. Yeah, he was so to think, this guy might be here for two, three minutes. It takes a long time for that euphoria post-goal to wear off. But then I thought, halfway through it all, I thought, "Oh no, he's enjoying himself." Because look, he's just taken the hat off one of them. Mm. He took your man's hat and stuck it. Tried to stick it on his own head. Yeah. Mm. In the middle I, of all this, amazing I, little touch. I wouldn't
4: have wanted to have been the, you know, the the fifth official standing around the goal, are you know, the referee just getting into the, the <laughs> you know, the, the the mic link. If you could just get in there and, you know, get those players out of there, that'd be great. Listen, they'll come out in their in their own time.
1: Any more thoughts on Ireland Sweden, Ken?
3: Since well, I, I just just yeah. on your man, um, Sally. Sally is as uh, we've we decided to uh, call him
1: incorrectly. Yeah.
3: Um, I imagine that at some point during that fifty-nine match uh, scoreless streak, <laughs> uh, some of the comments he might have been hearing from those fans behind that goal were not entirely complimentary. I mean, imagine you know, Daryl Murphy was to play fifty-nine, fifty-nine matches without a goal, and then score a crucial goal, you know, against uh, England in the Euros, which is which is kind of the equivalent for Austria of score, or Hungary of scoring against Austria. Maybe not. Maybe that's a, it's not an exact um you know analogy but it obviously the two countries have a have a complex historical relationship and austria did lord it over hungary for uh, for a considerable stretch of their history um most strikers who go uh, 60 matches or so without scoring uh, don't remain popular with all of the fans so maybe when you do get a big goal like that uh, the inclination is to milk the moment for all that it's worth
1: any further reflections on ireland against sweden Um, fans, 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 fan uh, fan interactions. There's a lot of funny videos. Yeah, a lot of funny videos, a lot of, well, singing about Abba. There was a Swedish guy who learned Aaron Levine, learned learned the words Aaron Levine and belted it out in a pub, much to the joy of the Irish contingent there.
3: Oh, yeah, God, isn't there there anything Irish fans would love more? But I do, I do think it's kind of funny. There's like this, this kind of uh, post-masculine vibe to uh, to a lot (laughs) lot of the stuff. You know, like these, camp sort of songs uh abba westlife and um you know i mean there was the kiss cam in the stadium uh, at halftime which caused much hilarity right um you know kiss cam basically that on the big screen they put up this like heart logo and in between you know in the framing like the the picture and then they like you know pick out a couple of people in the crowd and they have to kiss you know it was just this like succession of of men some of them some of them dressed as women To be fair, but uh, (laughs) it was pretty funny. Uh, I really want them to do this at Russia against Slovakia a little bit later on this afternoon. I cannot wait to see the Kiss Cam just picking out, you know, the most vicious looking uh, hooligans uh, from behind the Russian goal wearing GoPros. (laughs) Yeah, all the whole GoPro. You can stick this on YouTube as well. (laughs) Behind the goal and (laughs) challenging them. To, uh, to do what the stadium demands. Uh, I mean, I hope it happens. Um, and if it does happen, then I hope I get to see it because oftentimes I suppose the, uh, the people who aren't actually in the stadium itself don't get to see that. Bit.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what Paul McGrath made of her opening efforts against Sweden. Paul, very positive reaction in the country as a whole. Were you pleased with the performance?
2: Oh, very pleased. I mean, you know, uh, Zlatan was giving out so much uh, grief to everyone, telling them how good he was going to be and, uh, you know, he, he's going to score and he always scores wherever he goes and all that sort of stuff. So for the Irish lads to be that settled and that confident and that, and that cool, and taking the game to the Swedes, I thought was just brilliant. And a uh, tactical masterclass by uh, Roy and, and, and Martin. Uh,
1: what did you like particularly with how they set the team up or how, how they managed to nullify Zlatan?
2: Well, I, well, I thought they left it. I, I didn't think we 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 made any plans for him, really, to be honest. And I thought that's one of the ways that we 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 nullalized him because, to, to to be honest, he he does a lot of shouting before games and stuff like that. But it's the lads at the back who who, who it's his it's their responsibility to stop him, and they did it brilliantly. You know, he wasn't he he wasn't even in the game too much. So, and while you know he's a danger, you have to believe that you have got the likes of. Um, you know, John, o, John O'Shea and, and the experience of John and people like that, that they can delegate people to go go and attack him in the air. They can delegate people to get round him. You know, so he didn't really. The The, the only thing he actually did, I think, was flick the ball in for the, the unfortunate uh, Kieran Clark, who headed the ball into net. Other than that, I didn't really see him do too much in the game.
1: Could Kieran Clark have avoided that own goal in any way, do you think?
2: As a defender, no, if it comes in to you at a, a peculiar angle, you you,
1: you,
2: you you then have to work out in seconds whether you're going to kick it with your foot or head it or what needs to be done. And I just think it was at the right height to be headed, but he was at the wrong angle. There was no way he was going to be able to head it back outside the post. So that that's one of those things that happens to centre-half, and, and that has happened to me quite a lot during my career. So it wasn't de- definitely nothing to do with his his
1: fault. It was that was one of the positions that was up for debate. People thought Shane Duffy might get the nod there because of his well, because he's a bigger man. Largely, um, were you reasonably impressed with Clark? He's a guy who's been in and out of the Villa team. I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen a bit of him there. Uh, did, w- would you back him to uh, to go again against Belgium?
2: Um, yeah, I would. I would, and I'd see how he's settling in because obviously he, he was feeling. I'm sure he was feeling. Um, Terrible about terrible about the game the other night because he he will feel it's on his shoulders because he scored an OG. You you always do. I've scored OGs against Tottenham and a few, quite a few other people about eight or nine. But you you genuinely feel that it's you that's let the team down. But you haven't let the team down. It happens to defenders. If forwards were defenders, it would happen to forwards that they'd score goals in 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 an our position. You know, yeah. just it's a horrible position to be in because sometimes people are going to have shots you're going to try and stop them and they'll flick off and go into the top of the corner. But, uh, no, I think it'd be very harsh if he was brought out of the team now. uh, I'm looking that, I thought he played quite well. It's
1: interesting, Paul, that you said that you you didn't feel we came up with any particular plan to stop Zlatan other than defenders taking responsibility at, at key moments. Would you say that that should be the same approach against uh, against Belgium? I mean, they've probably got probably going to start with Lukaku, who's a very different kind of player, way faster and more, more more of a powerful runner than Zlatan. Do we need to alter anything?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, but but um, are you are, are you telling me then that Lukaku is a better player than Zlatan? I don't think so. No, I, to be honest, I think he's he's more bullish of a man and he's more. He he wants to get the ball to you know to feet and then turn you and he is very good at doing it and and he's a very he can if he gets you caught off balance he can actually sprint away from you and have those powerful shots that he has but in in Lukaku I I, I would again if you're not going to be afraid of of Lata, I don't think you should be afraid of Lukaku either or or if we go with the same ideas that we had uh, going into the Swedish game I don't think we've had to fear against the Belgium the Belgium. Because I think Italy, Italy have shown that um, you know they have their their their, their you know um, vulnerable points as well. So if we go in with the right, it's the same attitude that Martin and, and Roy have, have told them to come and have no fear, go and enjoy it. People are expecting us not to be doing as well as we have. We could have got three points here tonight, and I, I genuinely think. If we go in again, we will at least, uh, I've said it before, but I would nearly settle for a draw. But I'd rather uh, beat the Belgians at this stage from the performance I've seen against the Swedes.
1: Yeah, we might as well go and win it now. We're, we're all changing our views based, uh, based largely yeah. on, on, on the Italian <laughs> performance as well. Though. Wasn't the, I mean, it, it, we were, everyone was expecting Belgium to be a lot better, but I'm sure you would have admired the defensive masterclass from Italy. What is it about Italians? This seems to be the case for as long as any of us can remember. They ha- just—they know how to defend in a way that they, o- other countries don't.
2: Yeah. they—they've they, always been spectacular with the defend. And usually, back in my day, like they just kicked lumps out of everyone who touched the ball. <laughs> but but they became really um, experts at it. And, and then they had this thing where they, they 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 control it at the back as well. You know, they're all good players. They're all good footballers, and they're not afraid to keep the ball at the back and then bring it into midfield and then take it back to the back and stuff like that. So they are very, very good defenders and um and they've one or two forwards who can who can score goals as well. So they have to be respected. I know they they're a youngish team coming up and they've lost one or two 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 players as well. But um but they are still they're still a team to be reckoned with. But I thought they would be the team that we would the, you know, be happiest going to, to try and get points off because they they would have uh, had one or two experiences with the Irish before. So I, I, I still haven't seen them against the Belgians. I was I was shocked because I thought the Belgians, um, you know, just weren't weren't up to speed.
1: No, and they didn't play as a team. They were just the and that seems to be the issue. There's a lot of Mark Wilmot, their coach, seems to get a lot of stick in the Belgian media because you would think that any manager with all these players, amazing players at their disposal, should create. Uh, possibly the best team in the world, but they don't look like that. And I, I guess from an Irish point of view, that's got to be encouraging that we're playing against a team who on paper should really beat us fairly handily, but they, they don't necessarily have a strong collective. And we look it looks like we really do have that.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. I think um, Garrett Bell was talking about it as well, that when you have a team who's who's really invested something over the qualifiers, and become a team become a team who play for each other work for each other and, and sprint around for each other then i think they you know people fear them simply because you you don't have to be wonderful footballers and that but we've got great footballers as well well what's who scoring that goal the other night it was a magnificent goal and 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 the way we worked it in there to get that goal i mean Ireland are on the up, you know, and and no matter how good, uh, uh, how many good players you've got on your side, you can talk about the hazards and the Fellaini's and the this, that, and the other, but they don't seem to just—they're they're a little disjointed. I don't think anyone knows who to give the ball to, so that they can have the Bruins and the yeah. one. They they all seem to want to pass the ball back off to the to the next person and say, "You go get the goal." I'm, I, you know. <laughs> They just don't seem to be gelling as a team at the moment, and that's going to suit Ireland down to the to, to the ground.
1: Hopefully, the Belgium team aren't listening to this, Paul, and uh, pinning it up on their on their, <laughs> on their on their dressing room walls. But are you predicting? You're going to go all the way and predict a victory?
2: Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly am. I'm, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Ireland, if, if they start the way they did against uh, Sweden, uh, then I think. Belgium are in for a, a horrible day, really, to be honest, because we won't be letting people play. That's for sure.
1: Good man, Paul. Listen, uh, love the confidence and enjoy the game. Thanks a million. Uh,
2: listen, take care of yourself. Thanks for the call. Bye bye.
1: Uh, that's a good point, by Paul. If you're, if you're not going to get too head up as an Irish management team about the threat posed by Zlatan Ibrahimovic, why worry about you know about putting too many plans in place for Lukaku? Let's just keep this. S- I don't want to say laissez-faire approach to tactics, again, but maybe let's just you know let's just keep focusing on what we need to do ourselves rather than worrying too much about the opposition.
3: I think Ireland against Belgium might be one of the least tactical games of the uh, of the entire Euros. Um, judging by, you know, sort of how I mean, <laughs> just the difference right between say what Italy do or or when Italy talk about. Um, when Italy talk about their manager, Antonio Conte, you know, he he takes a lot of care about every single detail. He spends hours making videos and watching videos of our, of our opponents. He prepares matches better than anyone else. You can see it on the pitch. Everyone knows exactly what they have to do and where our teammates are. That makes it easier for us. I think that was Benucci talking. Um, Bonucci, who set up the first Italy goal, that brilliant um, pass from halfway. Um but, you know, so who is it? Uh, Matteo Darmian saying he's so well-organized, uh, we're so strong at the back, um, blah, blah, he'll be a big success in England. But, like, they always are emphasizing this uh, tactical uh, work that Italy do, hours and hours of training uh, and tactics. Belgium, on the other hand, um, not really so much. Mark Wilmot's attitude appears to be more... The important thing is the spirit in the side and... There's no great tactic in the sky, let's say. Um, seems to be his approach. Whereas Ireland, of course, uh, just seem to mainly do light like recovery sessions. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, Ireland tactically have looked have looked decent. Yeah, you know, I don't think we've been ripped apart uh, in the way that Belgium arguably were the other night by. By italy you know so there's certainly you know there's a certain amount of solidity there but i think it's obviously a different approach maybe that's a reflection of the differing cultures of the players you know italian players are, are used to that they enjoy doing that and if they're not doing it they feel as though something is wrong they start getting anxious whereas if ireland players if irish players or you know maybe belgian players uh, are required to do uh, you know hours and hours of tactical training maybe they start to uh, you know, maybe the attention starts to drift a little bit. I mean, have you seen what Vilmos was saying, incidentally, about Italy? No. That's amazing. it's amazing. You know, it's uh, they Italy. Italy didn't play real football. This is this is a favourite thing Vilmos likes to do when his team lose. He did it after they played uh, lost to Argentina in the quarterfinal of the World Cup and. He was all about, oh, Argentina just sat there, they didn't play, you know, they're not all that good. And you're like, you know, you're the one that's out of the World Cup, you shut your mouth. Um, on this occasion, they specifically played in the counter attack, they were pretty much there on the sofa, they were pretty relaxed. Um, then he picked out a couple of his own players who uh, who played badly. Uh, Lukaku, uh, he said, See, this is, Lukaku didn't have a great night, uh, De Bruyne can do better too. Uh, we made a small mistake in the fence when the communication went between Alder, viral and Seaman. So it's kind of like, wow. Uh, there's seven more players uh, who started that game who who maybe you might want to have a pop at. Uh, you know, you know what I mean. It's, yeah. it's 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 a bit puzzling. But you know, just to, to talk to, to talk that way about a team that's beaten you two 0 I think everyone's laughing at Vilmots for that. You know, you don't you don't get away with that. I mean, look at the difference in attitude between Italy and Belgium. Really, the ruthlessness of Italy in defending. Uh, every single time it looked as though Belgium might break away, they were just hauled down. The book take a book of Three Italy players got booked for specifically that type of foul. But when you look at the reaction of Antonio Conte on the sideline to anything, any tiny thing that goes wrong in defense, he goes absolutely insane. You know, he's he's screaming. There's a there's a clip of him screaming, I will kill you, I will kill you, at his own defenders. <laughs> Some something has something has happened in the game, and Conte is just like an absolute madman, you know, jumping up and down sort of uh, you know these these uh, wild sort of gestures and shouting. I will kill you. I will kill you. Incomprehensible. Uh, not incomprehensible. <laughs> incomprehensible is what the subtitle says. <laughs> that means he's not saying it's an incomprehensible mistake. There, I think it's more that his spittle fleck tirade is has become so uh, angry that they can't decipher what it is he's saying. But it looks as though it's not very nice, whatever it is. And that's how he treats his own players. So that those are the stakes. For Italy defenders, I mean, if he does on the sideline, imagine what he does up close in the dressing room. If you're an Italy defender, you don't want to make a mistake. If a guy gets away with you, if a guy gets away from you, you're bringing that guy down. You know, there's a, there's a, it's a cynical type of football. It's infuriating to play against. Everybody knows that, but Italy are good at it, and it looks as though in this tournament, they're, uh, it's a style that they're executing well.
1: We're hearing today, Murph, that John Walters hasn't trained. I think he's the only player who's sat out training for Ireland. Yeah. And no su- well, no surprise that he hasn't trained. And probably good news that everyone else seems to be up
4: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, one way of looking at that. Uh, John Walter is not training bad. Wes Hoolahan y- is training. That's good. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, I think we all expected Johnny Walters not to be training today. Uh, and probably not even... T- well, tomorrow's Thursday. He'd probably have to train tomorrow,
3: really? wouldn't he? I mean... Yeah, he's not playing.
1: Walters yeah. isn't playing. I, I mean, like, O'Ne- O'Ne- O'Neill's pretty much said that.
3: Uh, I don't think he can. I mean, you know... <sighs> He can't just ignore these injuries. It, it happened in the first minute of the game. Like Walters, Walters has been a, such a fantastic player uh, for us in qualifying, but it wasn't the usual Walters the other day. You know, I mean, he, he particularly, you could see that his, his defensive contribution wasn't as strong as it usually is. You know, he usually has a responsibility of defending on the right, um, you know, when, when Ireland do not have the ball. I mean, he gets four a lot, he's got the kind of engine to, to do that. Rather to do <clears throat> both of those things, but you know the the most dangerous Sweden moments, including the goal, happened down that side uh, when Walters, who would usually I think be be giving Shames Coleman a bit more support, wasn't, and I maybe it had something to do with the fact that you know his one of his was Achilles tendons is killing him. So you know it, it's obviously a big loss to the team, but I think another player is going to be more use than a half-fit John Walters. You know, sixty percent. John Walters, so that's just maybe something that we're going to have to face up to.
1: Yeah, uh, Wales are going to have to face up to, uh, well, it should be a daunting challenge against uh much-vaunted England team. What's daunting team. about it? Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe, that maybe that daunted, yeah, yeah, well, on, on paper it could be daunting, but I suppose when you've got Gareth Bale, both on paper and in your actual team on the pitch, that's going to help on Aaron Ramsey and a few of the other players who impressed against Slovakia. We haven't checked in yet on Wales' tournament, so let's talk to... AFP's Tom Williams, who's covering this game tomorrow, is in Chantilly, at the moment with the England side. Tom, it sounds like it sounds like Gareth Bale and his boys have been winning this pre-match PR battle hands down.
0: Yeah, I mean, from a Welsh perspective, um, it's very rare that uh, Wales are able to play mind games with anyone, that they can even attempt mind games. So it's uh, it's a bit of a novelty to have uh, you know a player like Gareth Bale being quite so bullish. Um, and, you know, the, the first comment about England that, that uh, seems to get into the Roy Hodgson skin a little bit came even before Wales's first game against Slovakia. Uh, and then when he gave his press conference yesterday, he was asked if, you know, he, he regretted the sort of, you know, the uh, the furore that he provoked. And he said, no, actually, he, he stood by it. And I think it, you know, I think it's a reflection of the fact that going into the game, all the pressure is on England. Um, I think Wales would probably have been happy with a draw against Slovakia. Um, had you offered them that before the game. But having won, and with Russia having dropped points, uh, you know, it, uh, England having dropped points against Russia, rather, uh, you know, England go into the game really needing to win, uh, whereas Wales, you know, uh, th- there's no pressure on them whatsoever. So this is, you know, I think this is this is bail uh, you know, just trying to trying to ramp up the pressure a, a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and it struck me that even for Roy Hodgson to have to address this idea, and Jack Wilshire was asked about it as well. This idea that Wales have more passion than England, even having to answer it and saying anything is—it's uh, almost a, that's almost an immediate victory for Gareth Bale. That's all he wants. Just just get them, just give them something extra and an extra little layer of stress ahead of the game.
0: Yeah, completely. And I mean, it's you know, it, it, we're so used to, to footballers trotting out. Uh, you know the same old platitudes when it comes to matches and and rivalries. And I, I did the England press conference yesterday, and, and I asked Adam Lallana about the rivalry, and you know he, he, was, he was clearly eager not to, to stoke the flames at all. But I think what Bale said is also a reflection of the fact that this rivalry has always meant more to Wales than to England. Um, you know, England see their football rivals as is Germany and Argentina. Um, I'm not sure Germany and Argentina see things in quite the same way, but for Wales, the only team they've ever wanted to beat uh, is England, Um, which is why Bale can, you know, can can say these mildly inflammatory remarks and know that there's not going to be any comeback in the Welsh media, you know, Welsh fans are just going to, just going to lap it up and it just sort of, you know, adds to the, adds to the whole experience.
1: Yeah, I think we all, uh, we all know where you're coming from with, with all that Tom and you quoted, you quoted Phil Bennett in 1977, the Welsh legendary, legendary Welsh rugby player People might be familiar with this pre-match speech that he made. Look at what these bastards have done to Wales, he said in Cardiff Arms Park. They've taken our coal, our water, our steel, they buy our homes and only live in them for a fortnight every year. What have they given us? Absolutely nothing. Now, some would say, some sports psychologists would say, maybe that's a little bit too emotive before, right before a big game. But is there a Phil Bennett in the Welsh camp? Who's going to give the stirring speech?
0: I mean, that's probably one, of the, one of the problems with... Uh with the, the the current Wales team in that respect is that Phil Bennett was was captain that day. Um, Wales's captain is Ashley Williams, who was born and raised in England, um, and uh, you know is is as passionate about playing for Wales as, as anyone. Um, but you know doesn't have that that you know that you kind know, of shared heritage of uh, you know that, that, that Welsh people have of, of growing up in in England's shadow. Um, so I'm not sure he could be counted on for for any sort of uh, you know rabble-rousing speeches. Maybe Gareth Bale will have something to say. I mean, you know, clearly he's, uh, you know, he's, he's quite comfortable in his role as, as leader uh, of, of the team, um, which is not a role that he has yet at, at Real Madrid. Um, you know, we, we know that he's, he's the only real superstar that the Wales have got. So maybe, you know, maybe maybe he'll have a few words to say. And, and Chris Coleman as well. I mean, you know, Chris Coleman taps in quite well to, um, you know, the sort of the, the, the sense. Sentiment around the team. Um, I think he's I think he's harnessed that quite well. Certainly in qualifying, you know, you got a sense that he was he was very conscious of the um you know the excitement around the team, uh you know and, and and he drew upon that quite a lot. So uh, I'm sure that yeah I'm sure that heading out they'll be they'll be fired up. But I think also they'll be relaxed, which is important. Um, you know Wales are a counter-attacking team. They can play football. Um, and they like to they like to have the ball. Um, but. Primarily, what they want is a team who will come onto them. We know that England like to attack. This is a very attacking England team. We know that England have to attack because this is a game that you know they they really need to win. Um, so in that respect, it's you know it's, it's set up perfectly from a Welsh perspective.
1: Yeah, and it does seem it's an interesting word to use, relaxation. It's, it, that's certainly the sense that you get from any interviews that you see, and even the way they approach the the, the opening game. Um, Bale, in particular, you know you see Ronaldo last night, even by Ronaldo's standards. Being uh, uptight, shall we say, and and actually missing a couple of chances, whereas Bale seems pretty chill. What about the England camp? You, you're heading to training there now. Is there uh, has the usual sense of sort of low level panic crept in after the the late equalizer against Russia?
0: I'm not sure. It's they're quite at panic stations yet. I think what was very reassuring was the fact that they played so well. Yeah. Um, and anyone who watched the game will have known that you know England should have won it and, and won it quite handsomely. Clearly it was a huge frustration, uh, you know, to concede that goal at the end. Um but I, I think generally speaking they are, you know, they're still positive. Uh you know, that could well change if they don't get a decent result against Wales. But even a draw against Wales isn't a disaster. Um, you know, they they beat themselves to beat Slovakia in the last game, which you know, which would take them through, I think. Um, I mean, you know, to be honest, the, the the majority of the talk around the England camp the last last couple of days has been about the violence in Marseille, about fears that the we'll see similar scenes in in Lille. So there's not been quite the same scrutiny of, of what didn't work against Russia uh, as there might have been had, had it not been for them.
1: Just on the fans so far, yeah, it's, I think there's a lot of trepidation around what's going to happen in Lille and Lons in the next day or two. Uh, Bordeaux looked like a fairly serene scene. Um, the the Wales fans winning a lot of friends there, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. I was there um, from a couple of nights before the game, um, and I was out with with some some Wales fans on on the eve of the game, and it was it was almost sort of comically good humoured. I mean, there wasn't a, a hint of you know of, of, of provocation really. You know, I mean, we all know what what football fans are like, particularly what what you know what British and Irish football fans are like. You, you sit around, you drink a lot, you know, you stand up and you sing. Uh, but the Bordeaux, you know, the Bordeaux locals loved it, um, and. It was, I think it was, it was Friday, um, so we'd, you know, we were all conscious of what happened in Marseille, we'd seen the images, we'd seen the, the, the videos, and when you're in a situation like that, you know that it doesn't take much for things to kick off, it just takes one idiot to throw a bottle or to, you know, for someone to take exception to their bonnet of their car getting patted or, you know, or whatever, um but there was none of that whatsoever um and uh, it was actually it was it was really nice to see that the friday night it was just after the france game there were a lot of france fans out as well um the france and wales fans were, were singing together there was a, a, a remarkably accurate rendition of the Marseillaise <laughs> by a group of welsh and french fans they were singing songs about olivier giroux there were slovakian fans there walking around waving flags um and it was really really good spirited um and I, I spoke to a, a Wales fan yesterday, and he said that he, he felt that in, in the corner of a lot of the Welsh fans' minds is the thought, let's, let's show that we're not like England fans, that, that we don't come to provoke, that we don't have that element in our support. And I mean, you know, this is totally new for, for, for Welsh fans of, of my generation and for all the generations to be watching their team at a, at a major tournament. And, Whereas you know you boys, the boys in green, you've got your reputation. Scotland have got the same thing. You know they're not here, but you know we all know about the tartan army. And generally speaking, when Ireland and, and when Scotland go and play somewhere, they tend to leave a good impression. And this is Wales's chance to do that. And it's the first chance they've had. You know these fans. Um, so I think there is a, there is a desire not to be you know not to not to go not to provoke not to uh, not to let themselves down. Um, and in that respect, border was you know was, was a great place to start. You know it's, it's a, a beautiful city the people are very friendly, uh, pretty laid back, um, and, you know, thankfully, it, it all passed off without without any incidents at all.
1: Yeah, sounds good, especially for all the Irish fans travelling at the weekend. Listen, brilliant stuff. Tom Williams, thank you.
0: Thanks
3: very much.
1: Yeah, sounds like the Welsh fans are building a good reputation and are conscious that they need to build that reputation there, Ken.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean, I suppose Welsh supporters abroad have a reputation from rugby, particularly in this country. You know, I imagine it's not so. France is totally unused to uh, hordes of Welshmen um, descending uh, at various at various times. I am not aware of any. I'm not aware of any trouble that's ever happened.
1: Although there was uh, a there was a video yesterday of a group of English and Welsh fans uh, together standing tall together against what looked like maybe one or two Russians or unidentified locals. Uh, scream! What was there? What was their chant?
3: Fuck off, Russia! We're England and Wales. That,
1: that's the one. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying this is indicative of uh, yeah of the entire uh, English and Welsh groups. Well, of you know,
3: it's good to see a, a truly united kingdom <laughs> against um, the uh, the um, you know Russian horde. It's a total uh, mess because
1: there's going to be there's going to be Russian hordes and lots of English and Welsh fans all together in uh, in Lille. Can you explain what's happened here? The England and Wales are playing in Lawns, but a lot of the fan, a lot of their fans are actually going to be in Lille.
3: Well, Launce is a small, small enough town, so UEFA said uh, before the tournament, you know what, uh, England fans, Wales fans who are going to this game in Launce, Lille is just a short short ride away by train, and it's a much bigger town, so you guys might like to go to Lille and hang out. You know, there is, there's more hotel rooms available, there's more bars and Fair restaurants, and more places for you to watch the match, and... Um, and I guess there'll be some Russians and Slovakians there too. It's not as though the presence of Russians and Slovakians uh, in the town was uh, was originally part of the reason why they were saying this. But they're basically saying... Because you know the other way, if in the wait between the games, fans usually tend to go to the city where the next game is. Um, so, for instance, those of the Ireland fans are down in Bordeaux now, even though the game isn't done until Saturday, because that's where... Our, you know that's where all the drinking's going on for the next couple of days. It was the same in the Euros, if you remember, after the game against Croatia, the next day everybody was up in Gdańsk and Sopac. Um So England fans will all have gone up to Lance Slash uh, Lille. Said, "Oh, you know, have you seen your wife?" I said, "Lille." And Lille is where the uh, Russians who have just been who have just been uh, battling them down in Marseille all are. In fact, all the nations of the group uh, are together in Lille at this moment. And let me see what time. Yeah, I mean we're not even into the afternoon yet. But once we do get there, that was the time that they. I mean, Russia at least have a game at uh, at uh, three o'clock, three o'clock uh, local time. That is, um, so you know maybe that will uh, that will keep things quiet for that period. I mean, uefa have have obviously said we're going to throw we're going to throw England and Russia out if there's any repeat of these uh, fan disturbances. But they're careful to note. That those are only disturbances that happen inside the stadium. What happens in the town is of no concern to UEFA. So really, all the bad stuff, the the, the really bad stuff, uh, was what happened in the was what happened in the city in Marseille. Um, but the bit that the only bit that UEFA are concerned about was the charge at the very end from the Russian supporters. You know where you saw the England England supporters fleeing any way they could could get out, and also a flare that was fired. I mean, did you see the flare? You know it was actually fired across from the Russian end into the into the stand where which mainly England fans were sitting in. Uh that's the kind of stuff that UEFA doesn't like because it's under their jurisdiction. Or that's the that's the stuff that they're prepared to accept responsibility for. So it will be interesting to see if there's any repeat of that from the Russian fans. Because you know, in that case UEFA have, have said we're gonna we're gonna throw you out. I'm sure that's the last thing they want to do. This is the the host country for the next World Cup. Uh as Barney Rona was pointing out, uh, the acting head of UEFA, via, via, Lona, uh, Lona, uh, via Lona from Spain, is also the, FIFA. Is also the head of the 2018 World Cup. You know, which, which looks like maybe a conflict of interest. He doesn't want to throw Russia out. If you do throw Russia out, what do you do then in terms of the best third place teams? You know, does everybody get an automatic three points for playing it? Like, does England's draw get a, upgraded to win? Do the other countries get three points? If so, how does that affect? You know. Uh, uh, Teams and other groups who are hoping to go through in third place. You know what I mean? It's it's yep. it's not it's not a situation they want to confront, but they have gone on record and said that if it happens again in the stadium, that's what they're gonna do.
1: Russia Slovakia today then Romania, Switzerland and France, Albania. Could Albania strike another blow for the underdogs? Get a draw?
3: No. Oh, okay. No, I mean I watched Albania's game against Switzerland. They 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 do like a short pass, Albania. Yeah. They do like a a little pass. Uh, laid off five yards, not really going anywhere. Just sort of enjoying the feel of the ball. They just like to have to, to get their foot on the ball and, and roll the ball slowly to each other as they meander about. You know, without any real impetus uh, towards the opposing goal. Uh, oftentimes in their own half. I mean, they, you know, some some decent technical players. and I mean, that's that they're playing quite a quite a good um, quite a good standard of football. But it wasn't. Uh, I can't. I just can't see them scoring a goal against. Uh, Against France, it's not as so though they didn't actually have some chances um, in, the, in their in uh, their in their match against Switzerland. They actually missed two one on ones, two really clear uh, chances, and, and didn't manage to do it. But you know, I think France are definitely a class above everyone in that group, and will probably give Albania a good uh, good thrashing.
1: Great show on the way for you tomorrow, Thursday. We're going to get to chat to the author of one of my favourite things. One of both of our favourite uh, written pieces of sports journalism ever, Murph Paul Howard. Mm. This is back in the run up to the 2002 World Cup. He was writing, he was covering sport for the Sunday Tribune at the time, and he did a series of articles about previous major championship moments for Ireland, and he kind of tracked these figures down. Like he talked to uh, uh, Timofte in a bar in Bucharest.
4: He owns a bar, or at that time owned a bar called Penalty.
1: Penalty, so. yeah. <laughs>
4: so I think <laughs> you can see where that's going, from. Is, yeah, uh, it was yeah. quite a big moment for uh, Daniel Tamplin as well as for Paddy
1: Bonner. But the piece that we're focusing on uh, concerns Belgium and our famous game against them back in the qualifiers for the 1982 World Cup, and we were it was the Thierry Henry handball of the day. There was a Frank Stapleton goal disallowed for offside and a soft free given to Belgium, from which they ultimately scored late on. It denied us in a place a place in the 1982 World Cup. And there were a lot of question marks, shall we say, about the referee, who the manager at the time, Owen Hand, and the players took turns in lining up to go up and call a cheat and a thief and all these kind of things. Uh, Anyway, uh, many years later, before the 2002 World Cup, Paul Howard tracked the man down, went to Lisbon, not only chatted to him, but went back to his apartment and put in Owen Hand's copy of the videotape. To uh, just to look over exactly what had happened on that fateful day and just what to transpires jog, is just jog the
4: gentleman's memory. Jog the
1: gentleman's memory. Uh, so what conflicted memory? It turns out it was a really good piece. I'm, I can't wait to talk to Paul Harrod about his recollection of that day uh, of meeting that referee. Who
3: can re- who can remember what happened in these matches years ago? Anyway, well, it's not the time he said, glancing at the twenty-seven thousand uh, euro diamond-encrusted Rolex. Um, I really have to be getting on. Yeah, but uh, that's exactly day. that's
1: exactly what didn't happen. This guy t- took an entire afternoon out of his schedule to talk to Paul Howard about this. That's what amazed. It's one of the angles I want to cover with Paul. Why did he do this? Surely he knew you're going to be asking some tough questions. You know, failing straight into disaster. <laughs> so that'll be good. That'll be good stuff tomorrow. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Ken Thank
3: you, Kieran. Thank you, Al. Enjoy today's football.
1: That's the second time it's done off. Huh? They never go home, they never go home, they never go home those 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 boys.